Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. It takes balls to be a juggler. <laughs> Believe it or not, that slogan was suggested to me by my mom, Mary Lou Cummins. And no, I have never used it in any of my advertising. Plus, it isn't true. I could do a very long juggling act without juggling balls. I could juggle scarves and grocery bags and rings and hula hoops and rolled up comic books and clubs and toilet bowl brushes, wooden plates, plastic plates, uh, china plates, but I probably shouldn't, eggs, and real eggs, again, are somewhat problematic, although I have done that. I could certainly juggle fruit. I have a routine where I pull things out of my pockets and juggle a wallet, a set of keys, and a handkerchief. And of course, I can always end my show by juggling not chainsaws, but rubber chickens. <laughs> I have been a juggler since 1955. Here's the origin story for the bungling juggler. I, as you may know, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, was very, very intrigued with puppets. I loved puppets. I had my own puppet theater in the sixth grade. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be mostly a magician or mostly a puppeteer. Then we moved to Baton Rouge, except none of my puppets made the move. The boxes full of puppets got lost in the move. I don't understand that at all. I have no idea why it happened. The simple fact was that all of a sudden I didn't have any puppets. I reached out to one of my pen pals, Kenneth Moe, that's spelled M-E-A-U-X, because he lives in Kaplan, Louisiana. I knew that he was both a magician and a juggler, so I asked him, hey, Ken, could you teach me how to juggle? He sent me back a letter with a series of illustrations that he had drawn in pencil, showing me the basics of what jugglers call the cascade, which is the basic three ball juggling pattern. Yes, of course, I still have that letter. I never throw anything away. That's why I have an entire duplex that nobody lives in, the Fantastic Magic Center where I curate my collections and share them with the rest of the world. I took the illustrations from Ken's letter. I went down to the dime store and bought three rubber balls and started working on it. It took me a long time, weeks, not days or hours. I was persistent because I wanted to learn. I eventually learned how to do the basic juggling pattern, the cascade. Then I learned the reverse cascade and the half cascade and columns and eventually the more difficult pattern the shower and it's it's interesting what jugglers call the shower is the closest you get to three balls going around in a circle which is what you typically see when you uh, see cartoons or you know pictures of, of jugglers that aren't real you see them juggling balls in a circle but nobody actually does that and the closest pattern to that which is very asymmetrical is also very difficult and when I try and teach people how to juggle, I'm always frustrated when they say, oh, look, I've been practicing, I'm ready to learn. And they take two objects and start juggling them in a semicircular pattern. 
which is, of course, not what they need to have been practicing to learn the cascade. I did learn the cascade. I did learn how to juggle. I started adding just a little bit of juggling into my magic show. And in some ways it was frustrating because by then I had already spent some years studying magic very hard and doing shows and performing, whereas I was a novice juggler. I could barely do a little bit of juggling. And yet audiences would come up after my shows and all they wanted to talk about was the juggling. Oh, wow, that was fantastic. How did you learn to do that? That's because most people didn't know how to juggle. I joined the International Jugglers Association almost immediately. Their newsletter was a mimeographed newsletter, mostly from old retired vaudeville and circus jugglers. It was interesting because they were more afraid of their secrets being learned than even magicians, or so it seemed to me. The way that you got an article into the IJA newsletter was you typed up a mimeograph stencil then you send it to the editor. And because different people around the world did that, <laughs> each article looked completely different depending on the typing style of the person submitting the mimeograph stencil. But it was interesting. I still have all those old newsletters, of course, because I never throw anything away. As far as I knew, there was only one other person in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who actually knew how to juggle. And it was Gordon Ogden, the theater manager who I did promotional work for, which explains the story of Two and a Guillotine and the story of Ride the Wild Surf and some of the other movie promotion stories that I've told you about. It may also explain why I had a crush on uh, Anne Margaret, because we did the promotion for Bye Bye Birdie. But the simple fact was that I could juggle and other people couldn't. As a result, I changed my business cards to say, Kent Cummins, magician and juggler, instead of just magician, or Misto the magician, which is the way I actually started. So I was Kent Cummins, magician and juggler, and I did some pure juggling shows if they were short. The most talented freshman boy competition at LSU, was it really most talented freshman boy? Maybe it was just most talented freshman. Well, I don't know. That was in the days of mandatory ROTC, which is just for boys, and the magic books all said magic for boys. It's 1961 through 1965, so it was a different world back then. In fact, it was, at LSU, only white boys. But regardless of who was allowed to be in the talent show, I auditioned doing my juggling act, because I thought that would be really interesting and different. I didn't devote that much time to it because I knew that they would think I was wonderful. Boy, was I wrong. I got a letter back saying, thank you so much for auditioning, but because we had so many of the same kinds of acts, we couldn't use everybody, so we couldn't use your act. Now, every other act was musical. Mine was the only non-musical act and certainly the only juggler. So the simple fact was I was not very entertaining with that juggling act. And I don't completely understand that because just the summer before, I had gone to the Southeastern Association of Magicians Convention in Birmingham, Alabama, the Magic City. I had been invited to perform because I had won the Teenage Magic Trophy at the TAOM, the Texas Association of Magicians Convention, the previous summer. 
For my regular performance, I chose to do my juggling act. It must have been fairly good because I won this humongous trophy, a loving cup. It was the A. Coke Cecil, I guess, Memorial Trophy for Best Youth Presentation. I didn't really do much magic. It was a juggling act, but I guess they thought my presentation of juggling was better than the other teenagers' presentation of magic. Anyway, it's a gigantic trophy, which I still have proudly on display here at the Fantastic Magic Center. And so the only thing I could figure was that I had just not prepared well enough. And that's a lesson that I have remembered throughout my life. It was also while I was a student at LSU that I got a letter from my friend Louis Berkey, the proprietor of the Fun and Magic Shop in San Antonio, Texas, also King of the Wooden Nickels. We've talked about him before. He said, Kent, I've got a new printing press. I want to print a bunch of stuff. Could you write a book for me? So I wrote him a book called Bungling Juggling because I thought that was a clever name. It was the first book published, as far as I know, on how to make juggling entertaining. I wasn't an incredibly skilled juggler. I could do up to four balls or three hoops or three clubs, but I wasn't terribly skilled. On the other hand, I did make it fun. I used a lot of comedy. I put those comedy ideas into my book. It's just a pamphlet, to be honest, but it was the first book that I had ever written, and it was the first book he had ever published. It sold for a dollar. I don't know how many of them he sold. I don't think he actually paid me. I think what he did was gave me a certain amount of credit in his store and, of course, gave me a stack of the books that I could sell or give away or whatever. I found out that, well, let me tell this story. We're backing up to when I was still in high school, at Baton Rouge High School, and I had booked a show for the combined School for the Deaf and School for the Blind. People who don't think very carefully think, oh, yeah, wait, how could you, you know, blind people can't see magic and juggling and deaf people can't hear, blah, blah, blah. But the simple fact is that most people at the School for the Deaf had some hearing. Most people at the School for the Blind had some vision. They all had families that would come to a show. So you tried to provide as much visual and as much auditory entertainment in a complete variety show as you could. I put together a variety show, and I was going to do the magic and the juggling. Then before the show, maybe a week or so before the show, I fell off a car. Now you may be asking, how can you fall off a car? Did I mention I was a high school student? I think that's as much as you need to know. I did break a tiny little bone in my wrist, and so I had my arm in a sling. Of course, I couldn't juggle. I mean, there are jokes about a one-armed juggler. I couldn't even really do the magic very well with only one arm, not the way I had learned it. And so I called my friend John Bloodwell, who performed as Fudini, the Clown Prince of Magic, and asked him if he could do the magic. And he said, sure, but I didn't have anybody to call to do the juggling, and we had advertised it. I was complaining at the dinner table one night, my little brother Carter, who's uh, I don't know, about four years younger than me, said, well, I can juggle. I know you can't. It'll be ridiculous. But it turns out that Carter had been sort of secretly watching me practice. And then he had gone into his room, closed the doors, and mimicked what I was doing. And he actually had taught himself how to juggle. So what we did for the show 
was I came out, I emceed the show, and I wore the sling on my arm. And I said that I had been planning to do a juggling show, but, uh, you know, one-armed juggler. My brother Carter was going to help me. He'd use his right hand and I'd use my left hand. And so that's what we did. We performed the cascade very briefly with my using my left hand, his using his right hand. And then I tossed the ball up higher into the air and he took over and did a very short, quick little juggling routine all by himself. The crowd went wild. Well, I don't know if the crowd went wild. (laughs) They were entertained. It was fun. And so Carter and I started working together and learning how to do juggling together. My hand was out of that sling pretty quickly, but we had seen a group called the Half Brothers. I believe that was the name. There was two juggling guys on uh, the Ed Sullivan show. They would stand next to each other. One would use the right hand, one would use the left hand. Then each wore a hat and they would switch hats back and forth while they were juggling. And then one would take all of the balls and juggle them. And then the other would steal them all. Carter and I learned to do most of those kinds of things and started calling ourselves the bungling jugglers. By the time it was time for me to write that book for the LB company, Lewis Berkey, We already had established ourselves as the bungling jugglers. Therefore, bungling juggling was the logical name for my first book. I was able to use the idea of the bungling jugglers again once uh, after I had moved to Austin, Texas, which means it was after 1976. Esther's Follies, the famous comedy troupe here in Austin, had a juggler named Mario Lorenz, and he and I were friends. We knew each other. He fell off the stage one night during a performance and broke his arm. He and I talked and I told him about the bungling jugglers. We agreed that we would do something similar. So at Esther's Follies, I sat in the front row. He came out and made jokes about a one-armed juggler and said, so I'm going to have to get someone from the audience to help me with this. You, sir, pointing to me, you don't have a date, so you don't have anything else to do. Would you come up on stage and help me? I ambled up onto the stage I used my left arm and he used his right arm and we juggled and the crowd did go wild. The audience cheered. They were so impressed that Mario was able to get this guy from the audience and teach him how to help in the juggling. And then Mario tossed the ball up into the air and I took all three of them and started a quick pattern and the audience turned on us. I mean, they felt like they'd been cheated because it was obvious that I actually did know how to juggle. I did my entire juggling routine, which included juggling three eggs, tossing them one at a time up into the air and catching them in a metal pan, turning the pan on fire, and then turning the three eggs into three rubber chickens, which I would then juggle. Except that that night, one of the three eggs I didn't catch in the pan. I'm not sure why. Not enough practice, perhaps, but it splattered on the floor. Now, I was prepared. I had a towel with me, and so I immediately cleaned it up, but the people in charge of Esther's Follies did not like me because a dance number was following the juggling act, and the stage was a little bit slippery, and so they were quite upset, and it took some years before uh, we became friends again. So you've heard about how I learned to juggle and some of my early juggling exploits. What you may not know is how I became a certified juggling teacher. And that started back in Korea 
when Dave Finnegan was working for, I think it was the Population Center something, some government agency, and he confided in me that he was going to quit his job and teach the world how to juggle. Darned if he didn't do just exactly that. He started uh, the Juggling Institute of Seattle. He started Jugglebug, a company which used his connections with Asia and other countries to produce economically available juggling props. I had the opportunity to travel with him quite a bit. My family is home in Celebration, Florida. His family has been in their motorhome parked in our front yard in Austin, Texas. His whole family came to the Magic Camp and did juggling programs there. You already know, if you've been listening to this, that juggling has been a key part of the Magic Camp curriculum from the very beginning 30 years ago. So he had uh, certification workshops where he would teach us not how to juggle. We had to already know how to juggle, but he would teach us how to teach juggling using a step-by-step process. The step-by-step process that he came up with was brilliant. I mean, it was the same process that you used to teach people how to play soccer or whatever. He traveled the world teaching people how to juggle. The biggest thing was he taught PE teachers, physical education teachers, how to teach juggling. And that meant that kids everywhere were learning how to juggle. He called it the Juggling for Success program. I had the privilege of traveling with him and teaching hundreds of these teachers how to teach juggling. And in the process, of course, I learned. As a result, I started teaching juggling at the University of Texas through their informal classes. And I did that for at least a couple decades. I have literally taught thousands and thousands of people how to juggle. I had a Zoom juggling class during the pandemic where people learned how to juggle online. And so for most of my life, I have been not just a juggler, but also a juggling teacher, a certified juggling teacher. (laughs) Funny story, I was at the International Jugglers Association convention. I think it was in Las Vegas. I was there because Dave Finnegan, Professor of Confidence, was having a uh, juggling certification workshop that I was going to. I'm in the dealer's room, and one of the young people selling juggling props looked up at my name badge and said, Kent Cummins, Kent Cummins, oh, did your dad write a juggling book? And I went, no, dad didn't know how to juggle. He says, oh, it was, it was like this little pamphlet. And I said, wait a minute, are you talking about bungling juggling? He says, yeah, 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 but that was years ago. <laughs> yes, it was years ago, but that was me as a young college student. That was not my dad. So kind of funny. Someone else then reprinted Bungling Juggling, but they put their own name and their own uh, pictures in it, and they didn't even bother to give me credit. I encountered the person and said, what, why are you doing this? He said, well, the book is out of print. I just assumed you were dead. Well, no, the, I, I, I am not very dead. Would you please stop taking my book, my intellectual property? Oh, my Bungling Juggling did eventually sell out after 10 or 15 years, I think, and so it wasn't generally available. So just a couple years ago, I finally republished it as a mini book, and what I did was have the original book, just like it was, including my bio, which is a bio from 1964, before I even got married, and then wrapped it with another page or two that had an updated bio and some color photos and and things that weren't available back then. 
So it's a cute little uh, bungling juggling book that uh, I sometimes sell back of the room, sometimes give to people that are interested in juggling. And needless to say, there's an entire wall full of juggling stuff here at the Fantastic Magic Center. Speaking of my being too old to still be alive, a few years ago, heard from the people who put together the Museum of Juggling History in Middleton, Ohio. They said, wow, you're still around. Is there any possibility that you could donate some of your original juggling props from so many years ago? And I just laughed and I said, well, I could, except you don't want them because I learned to juggle clubs on rolled up comic books and uh, rings. I learned to juggle with hula hoops. I didn't have any professional juggling props, but they came back to me and said, no, no, we would love to have those things. And so I did a series of juggling classes for Fantastic Magic Camp. This was during the pandemic, so they were doing these classes online from my theater here at the Fantastic Magic Center. So it was a perfect opportunity. Each day I would do a one-hour juggling class, and I would do the juggling class with some of those old original props, which of course I still have because I never throw anything away. Those comic books turned out to be from, I don't know, 1959, something like that. Uh, when I unrolled them, they practically fell apart. But I rolled them back up again. And so now the Museum of Juggling History has a Kent Cummins display, which includes rolled up comic books and little toy plastic clubs with the uh, cardboard header that went with them. And they said, these are the first props we've ever had where we also had the cardboard header why would I still have the cardboard hitter? Because I never throw anything away. And although I never throw anything away, I'm delighted to have some of those very early memorable props on display at the Museum of Juggling History. Here's my last juggling story for this episode. On January 6, 2023, just a few weeks ago as I record this, I turned 80, and my wife, Margot, organized a wonderful birthday party for me with more than 80 people attending. I felt like I needed to do a little bit of performing, but I didn't want the birthday party to be all about my performing, so I, so I wanted to do just one small bit, and the small bit I chose to do was juggling three clubs on a rollabola. And the reason I chose that is because it's funny that an 80-year-old man would be doing that. It looks dangerous. But that's how I used to end my act in high school. And I promise, it's been a very long time since I was in high school. I graduated in 1961. So it's something I have done all of my life, and it's not difficult at all because I've been doing it so often. But of course, I make it look like it's scary and difficult, and it's kind of fun. Sometimes I end my show by juggling three rubber chickens. Other times by juggling three clubs on a rollabola. And this ends the episode of Tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website, Fantastic Magic Center dot com.